0: So Sean brought us through Jesus shutting down the Sadducees and their silly little questions that came his way. And now he's going to not receive a question, but now he's about to just simply end the discussion yeah. by just throwing down the microphone with one question about a very familiar psalm. It would, it would be as if one of the hymns that you knew so well, suddenly you realized, poof. Blew my mind. That's what I was singing all the while. And these Psalms that were so near and dear to the to the scribes and to the Jewish leaders and to the teachers of the law is what Jesus is about to talk to them about. And it is a scribe near. I mean, it's a Psalm near and dear to the hearts of these Jews gathered in anticipation of the Passover celebration, because it is a Psalm that spoke to the ultimate deliverance that God had for his people. Now, I grew up every March schlepping on up to Elizabeth, New Jersey, to the Lithuanian Hall to celebrate Lithuanian Independence Day. Now, if you got any perspective of world history, I started doing this in 1964 and did it all the way through my, my, my college years even to some degree uh, into the early 80s. Now, during that time, I would always ask my mom or my grandparents, so we're celebrating Lithuanian Independence Day when we're merely one of the states of the Soviet Union? Help me to understand like this independence. Is it a metaphorical independence? Is it an anticipated independence? Exactly what are we celebrating since we are an oppressed people? And they would just kind of shush me up and just shut up and have some borscht. I was like, oh, that sounds enticing. I'm so glad we came to eat this kind of food. (laughs) But a a little bit different from a typical American. I, I grew up a first generation Lithuanian. And so, in 1991, I remember with a depth of clarity, as the Soviet Union started to show some cracks and fissures, and all of a sudden, in 1991, the Lithuanians decided that they would stand up against the Soviet tanks. It was the first crack in the Soviet Union begun in, did I mention Lithuania? But... But, but, but there at the, the, the great television tower that kind of towers over Vilnius, the capital, there all of the town gathered together to protect the television tower, to protect the transmissions of declaring independence. And it is exactly what Lithuania did in thumbing its nose at the huge Soviet machinery and all of its vast military resources, saying, enough is enough. We declare our independence. And I'm, even I say I say it now, you don't have this, but I do. I have goosebumps, like even right now, because of being an oppressed people for so long. And ultimately, you know, during that evening, during that night, I remember I lived in Springfield, Illinois, and I, I was I was downstairs working on a project for Coca-Cola at the time. And and, and I turned on the radio only to be able to hear these. And I turned on the news. There's nothing on TV yet, but on the radio. And I remember just listening to the radio and them talking about ultimately the tanks were repelled and, and the Lithuanians were able to stand their ground. And ultimately they received their independence through that struggle and just weeping tears of joy there, there in my basement in, in the land of Lincoln in, in Springfield, Illinois, that, that it had actually come to pass. All those fruitless Independence Days up in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And, and now we really do have something to celebrate. But now, again, that's, that's just, you know, a generation. We're, we're talking for the Jews, tens of generations. Where they're wondering, when will this Messiah come and deliver them? And Psalm 110, which is what Jesus will have in full view... Is what he's going to make comment on. We'll we'll read that right here in in verse 41. Then Jesus said to them. Why is it said. That the Messiah. Is the son of David. And by the way the Jews did have that understanding. That the son of David. Even the title the son of David. Which we saw encountered back in Luke 18. By by the blind beggar. who, Who shouts out Jesus son of David. Have mercy on me. That this son of David was identified as the Messiah. The, the Psalms of Solomon, which were uh, kind of a, apocryphal books, but, but well-known, super well-known by everybody who's in this crowd at the time, would have recognized the allusion to the idea that, yes, Messiah equals son of David. David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, this is Psalm 110, by the way, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And in Matthew and Mark, they both say, Uh, we don't know, Uh, they don't say we don't know, they were just like, shut my mouth, and no one dared ask him any more questions, nothing more would be said, and it was basically Jesus' opportunity to say, there's more going on here than you can ever begin to understand. So how about you just sit down and listen for a little bit. And he's about to then go into some very serious commentary that we'll look at next week. But I want to be able to take a, a deeper look at this Psalm 110. So go ahead and turn back to Psalm 110 with me. It would have been a, a victory song that we would have sang in Lithuanian Hall. Just with different heroes inserted. Excited about it. Psyching ourselves up about it even though no hero was in sight. But here they would have sang this psalm of David, their champion, their deliverer. The Lord says to my Lord. There, there you have that same phrase. Notice, by the way, as we're there, if most translations would have the Lord, the first Lord in small caps. Do you see how it's different from the next Lord, which is in just all lowercase? And that's purposeful by most of our modern English translations. And some of the explanations used to be in in the Bibles. They're not in in our Bibles now. But what, what we're referring to here is the Tetragrammaton. I'll have a slide on that in just a moment. But I just want you to take note of it as you see it right now. So the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. These Jews would be thinking, yes, those Romans will be a footstool at the foot of the Messiah, our brave heart. Once he shows up and we rally around him and we vanquish and expel the enemy and make them the footstool for our feet. We'll put our foot on their necks and conquer over them. Sing this song with pride. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like a dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You see an additional uh, kind of expansion of the idea of Messiah there, by the way. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations heaping up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. And it's just a picture of victory all around and something that would swell in the, in the chest with pride in the chest of, of all of the Jews that would sing it together in, in glorious anticipation that God has said it and he has not changed his mind. This is coming our way. And so you could imagine to an oppressed people, not having to eat borscht, but nonetheless coming together with unleavened bread and, and being able to have this anticipation of their deliverer that would come their way. Uh, if we can go to the next slide. But what Jesus is trying to say to them, and my, my first point is, expand your Messiah. Yes, they understood Jesus. They understood, rather, the Christ, the Messiah. By the way, Messiah and Christ are just interchangeable terms. One is just Hebrew in origin. The other is just simply Greek in origin. It, they both refer to the anointed one. One that is chosen. Uh, it, it's as though the king... Was being able to be chosen and anointed with the holy oil of God as the one designated for the ultimate victory that God has in store. But Jesus says, yes, I I am or, or the Messiah is in the lineage of David. He's not trying to deny that. As a matter of fact, the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew both affirm the lineage of Jesus as being, but on both the mom and dad side, well, the supposed dad, right? Joseph, but nonetheless that David is the father of the Messiah. Many, many generations removed. That's not an issue here, but here's what the, the, the issue is that Jesus wants to present to them in Jewish thought. The son is never greater than the father. Something to take note of. So Isaac would never be regarded more highly than Abraham right. Right. Solomon never more highly than than David in in a Jewish mindset, and so for a son to be called Lord by the Father right, right so we 've still got Zach here for a couple days Caleb's here you know for for, for me to you know, to say, you know, as they said, uh, hey, can, can I drive? And I'd be like, oh, yes, my Lord. Right. I mean, if, if, if you saw that go down in the parking lot, all, all of you would quickly like pick up stones and throw them at my sons, I hope. Right. Because that would be blasphemous and something like that. Usurping in that sort of way like that. Uh, but but from a Jewish standpoint, it would be very, very odd. I mean, completely odd for a father to, to ever refer to a son in, in that way. It's not kind of like a, a, a Spanish thing where everybody's puppy, right? It's, <laughs> no, no, no. This designation of Lord is, is a very, very clear and important important term. It, let's jump to the next slide. The word Lord in Greek is kurios or kyrios. Over time, the the uh, the there became an e sound. It was an u sound originally. Like upsilon is now ipsalam. Uh Upsilanti is Ypsilanti uh, in Michigan, for example. But anyway, kurios. uh, And and by the way, just as the the word kurios, even here, always has like an A or a the in front of it. You know, so it's like not a, it's like the Lord, not just Lord. So you would never just say Lord, you'd say the Lord. And so the word for the Lord, I'm going on a tangent, but it has something to do with like our church in a minute here. uh, But the Lord, the Lord is ha ha is the ha koreas, so ha koreas sounds almost exactly like the word for anchor in greek and so when they say that we have this anchor for the soul there's also a little bit of a word play that's going on in hebrews in that hebrew 6 in, in saying that we have this lord or we have this anchor as hope for the soul so you know what a homonym is you know like um uh, mail and mail, you know, you get mail in the post office, you get, get mail if, if, when you get a Y chromosome. Um. <laughs> so, so just like mail and mail, completely different words, right, have, have nothing to do with one another, uh, however they just sound the same. And, and same thing with that wordplay, and why you would even see on a lot of the Greek-speaking catacombs in the early church, an anchor that is engraved. As a matter of fact, when we go to Israel, not not too long from now, in November, we'll see outside the garden tomb, even an anchor, an ancient anchor, that is is kind of etched into the wall of the tomb that is supposedly, perhaps, the the tomb of Jesus. And, And why is that? Again, because... Uh, Hakiorias sounds almost like the word for for, for anchor, which is hankuros, and and thus that's why we even have as our symbol for our church an anchor because we we are of the Lord. And I'm not done with this incredible tangent no. yet. <laughs> Where does the word church come from anyway? It comes from kiorias as well because the the word meaning of the Lord is is kiriakos. Which which was shortened ultimately in in English to Kirk, like Kirk Valencia, Kirk's Kirk's name just means church. Kirk Kirk ultimately then uh, kind of evolved into church. So of the Lord Kiryakus come, comes from uh, the Lord as well. So anyway, all of that kind of blended together is, is is the tangent for the moment, which I'll make a little note there. So in case I need to just delete all that uh, for the sermon. So but 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 this is the word. In the Greek that came to be the word that was referred to as a person who had ultimate two things. Authority and power. The idea of authority was you were legit. You weren't some pretender to the throne. You were the designated person that was large and in charge. And the idea of power is that you were very large indeed. And so Kodias would, would come to embody that idea. And it became then the word that the Greek translators of the Old Testament used to translate two very big words for God. And let's go ahead to the next uh, slide. So keep going. And one more. And you're going to have to stop here or else you're going to keep going. Just in a minute. Okay. So in the, that's what I meant. You're going to have to stop there. <laughs> so you're going to have to go back. Yeah. Uh, so the Lord said to my Lord, and then all of these will come together, by the way, you don't have to keep hitting. Uh, the Lord said to my Lord, you notice that in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, the word Lord was in small caps, because whenever it appears in small caps like that in the Old Testament, it is the word for Yahweh. Or sometimes known as the Tetragrammaton. This is a little teachy, nerdy time, so you know, hang with me. doesn't happen often, but it's happening now, let me tell you. <laughs> so Yahweh, which is just designated as that, it's, it's the great word where Moses at the burning bush finally has an intimate encounter with God Almighty. And he says, uh, who do I say that you are? And then we get the great, I am who I am. This idea of I am being is basically what, what God says. My name is that I am being. And that is Yahweh. That's encapsulated in that idea of Yahweh. Yahweh simply means that I am, I be. I, I, I am existence itself is, is basically what is, is said by that name. And it was such a precious statement because there are so many prohibitions about using the Lord's name in vain. Of course, even in the Ten Commandments, that the Jews were very, very careful to only use it where they could do it without ever tripping over it. And they would never want to misuse it. So ultimately, when they translated the Bible from the Hebrew to the Greek... And it was the Bible that everybody read in the New Testament. They all read a Greek Bible. We know that from Luke 4. And even when Jesus quotes here, he is quoting word for word from the Greek Bible to these people. So the Greek Bible was the prevalent Bible that everyone was was using at this time. Uh, But but they they would have then translated from Yahweh to Koryas. And then interestingly... In the Hebrew, in Psalm 110, it says, Yahweh said to my Adonai. Now, Adonai could be a a great expression of respect, but it's not all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty creator God. Uh, But it still can be referred to as God because it's a great word of respect. And Adonai is then what is used there in differentiation to Yahweh. So in the Psalm, David is saying, God, Yahweh, Jehovah himself has said to my Lord, my ultimate successor, my Christ, my Messiah, the one who will deliver you. This is what he said. And then all these great promises of bang, bang deliverance that's going to come as you shake off the shackles of oppression that Rome has on you. But in this phrase here, what what, what is interesting is that Yahweh has said to Adonai. But in the Greek, you don't see that differentiation. You just have Koryos, Koryos. Koryos said to Koryos. And the Jews understood, because they knew the Old Testament so well, that the first one referred to Almighty God, and the second one referred to a great term of respect. Now, throughout the study of who Christ is, many people try and take the idea of Koryos, which is applied to Jesus all throughout the scriptures, and very poignantly after his resurrection in all of the letters of Paul and, uh, and even throughout Hebrews, and, and try to turn that into Adonai rather than Yahweh, when in fact the parallels over and over and over again throughout our New Testament references of Jesus as Koryos are more parallel to Yahweh, which really does speak to the fact that Jesus is truly the Son of God, truly God incarnate. And so Jesus is now saying to them, it's time for you to expand your concept of God, Uh, not of just of God, but of the son of David, of the Messiah, because what he is bringing you is not merely some sort of deliverance, but he is also a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is also one that is going to fight a battle that is so much greater than any sort of physical battle over territory or anything else, he's going to fight a battle for your very soul. That there is an ultimate deliverance, and it's not beating the Romans. There is an ultimate deliverance, which Jesus is going to speak about in just minutes. Just minutes here. You'll see a bunch of red text coming up, right, in, in Luke 21, and he's going, to, he's going to explain it all. I'm going to spoil it for you. And it basically, that ultimately, Jesus is coming back and he's going to win. And he's going to make all enemies a footstool for his feet. Jesus is that one who is transcendent and the risen Lord. And he is going to come back in triumph. And thus we need to be ready for that. But I think for us, this is an opportunity for us where Jesus in with his words more than with. His physical appearance. With his physical appearance just a few chapters back, he gave the disciples a bit of a peek of who he was. He kind of did the, hey, here's my transfiguration. You want to see a blinding light that is whiter than any bleach can ever bleach? You want to just get a little hint of like who I really am? Well, ah!" ha! And suddenly the glory bursts forth as they're right there on the top of that mountain. In the same way, Jesus hints at this all throughout his discourse. When he talks about the baptism of John. When he talks about the parable of the vineyard. And the son that comes back is the son of God. Who comes back that will be killed by these very people. And now when he refers to who is this Messiah. This son of David. Well he's going to fight battles and he's going to win triumphs. That are transcendent beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And if only. Only you would drop your preconceptions. You would allow yourself to be blessed more than you've ever really gone towards by knowing the fullness of what Jesus has in store for you. But even though there they are and it's being explained. And at this point, they're like, wow, that's pretty deep. We didn't get that. And that whole thing you did about the resurrection and being the father of of the living and not the dead and all that, that was pretty good, too. We get all that. At this point, Jesus is winning every argument and it's happening quicker and quicker. But just because logic prevails doesn't mean that they end up surrendering over to Jesus. And just because you get from the Bible that you're understanding, let's say, perhaps of repentance or the regenerative work of baptism in your life or whatever it might be. Doesn't actually line up with the Bible. And even though the Bible can convince you. And it wins the argument. Here's the scary part. You can still walk away like they did. Saying, wow, that was convincing. And still. Because your understanding. And your tradition. And even your pride. Of actually feeling as though it made sense to you in other ways. Ends up trumping. What the Bible really does say. Mm -hmm. That's a scary place to end up. Because then at that point, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Because at the end of the day, even though the Bible is crystal clear and it is bringing you the the unfiltered will of God for your life. You're still going to choose what your heart tells you. God forbid. And may God have mercy on your soul. If that's where you end up rather than really allowing the bible to be your standard and jesus to be your lord. Now we take this one last minute here just to expand our appreciation for this jesus who is ours. And here he is, not only fighting this battle but at the at the very same moment he is also working the ultimate sacrifice for all of us positioning himself to win the ultimate victory that we can actually have what Mark alluded to. We can have victory over sin in our lives. Do you know how huge that is? I, just to be real here, I looked at pornography from the age of 14 to the age of 29 every single day of my life. Every single day. And throughout that period of time, because it was before there was you know multimedia... Before that period of time, I never missed one single issue of Playboy or Penthouse every month for all of those 15 years. And I never missed a Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. And when I was younger than that, I never missed, I guess, a Sears catalog. I mean, but but whatever there was, that's what I was all over. And I was enslaved. And I didn't come away from that feeling great about myself. Even in my depraved nature of, you know, bragging about sin at every turn. I I never came away feeling good about myself. I always came away feeling empty and realizing because God has really set eternity in our hearts, realizing that, you know what? I have definitely, definitely committed cosmic treason against the God who so dearly wants to have me align myself with his will. I I knew that I didn't, I didn't have to get a degree or anything to know that 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 was obvious. And I think we all know that as we go about deliberate sin of whatever it may be. But I also thought, I, I guess this is just who I am. And this is just what I'm stuck with. And I remember finally encountering true disciples of Jesus. I mean, real deal Christians And them sitting down with a group of maybe four or five brothers and having a good talk with them as we looked at the Bible passages on this very topic. And I remember them them asking me some questions in this area of like pornography and just fleshly indulgences. And I remember just giggling, giggling my way through, like what was going on there. And and as I looked at them thinking like, oh, they'd snicker, too, because, ah you know, boys will be boys. There was none of that. There was just sobriety. In the face of every one of them staring back at me. And even a little bit of sadness, realizing the depth of darkness that had been my life for such a long period of time. And then one after another, they shared about their victories in Christ. And a lot of them had similar stories to mine. And and I get to be here now to tell you from that time in March of 1993 until this time... I've not looked at pornography. I, those chains have been set free. Why? Because I finally, you know, just put my nose to the grindstone and decided to gut it out and just no, no stinking way. I tried that hundreds of times, from fourteen to twenty-nine, countless times. Today's the day. I'm writing a book, we stake in the stand. We'll, we'll see it here. Mark it on the calendar. Let's see the, the streak. No days. I mean, over and over again. Tried that. But it was, thank you, Jesus, that He died. He sent the Holy Spirit to convict me on my path of knowing Him, to convict me, to open my eyes through the Scriptures, through godly brothers, to bring me to that place with repentance where then I could be regenerated by the Holy Spirit to be born of water and spirit. All of this is going on at this very same time in our Jesus. And... And it's for everybody. You are not meant to live a life of defeat after defeat, after despair, after darkness. No longer to sit in darkness. You have something else available for you. And it's this Jesus, this Christ, this conqueror, who's greater than just throwing off the yoke of oppression of the Romans, but a greater victory. A victory that means something for now, for our families, for our well being. For our our own uh, significance in, in connecting to God and ultimately for our eternity. But in appreciation of the power and the authority of Jesus, if you can go to the, the next slide and you can bounce by and go to the, the, the next point. Go ahead. You can go to the next. And my last point is simply this. Not only to expand your Messiah... But get off of his throne. Come on. Come on. Oh, come on. It's his throne. He's sitting there. And he's going to make enemies a footstool for his feet. You don't want to be a usurper of that throne. And it's not as though, well, I all have I have my throne, he has his throne. There's one throne. There's one Lord. That's right. I can't both be Lord of my life and claim. That Jesus is Lord of my life. There is no well. Does it have to be either or? Can it be a both and? Not here. Not here if you really want to be in Christ. Not here if you really want to know the victory that is is in Christ. There is no salvation without Jesus being Lord of your life. Lordship is. Is critical. And Psalm 110 alludes to that. Yahweh has made Jesus the Lord. And he is ultimately going to put all enemies under his feet, under his throne. He will have ultimate victory. You may think, well, I don't know, maybe in the last day, because I'm so charming, you know, I'm going to be like, hey, Jesus, you know, remember, remember me? Jesus has plenty to say about that, including using the word Lord. You know, in the last days many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. Weren't we like doing your will and hanging with you? And he's going to say to you, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers, and you'll be thrown outside will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. But, but 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 we trusted, we loved you, we liked you, we talked about you. None of that matters. If you did not do my will, if you did not make me Lord, right. you can't redefine what it is for Jesus to be Lord when the scriptures provide greater clarity than, than we could ever come up with ourselves. And so for, for ourselves, that's a, that's a huge one to really get off the throne. I was so squarely on the, the throne of, of authority for my life. I, I even like, had these visions of arrogant grandeur that, that encapsulated my path to knowing God. When I studied the Bible, I was contri- in my mind, you know, marching up the corporate ladder of Coca Cola USA. And I, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm so well prepared for this. I've got mentors who are going to bring me to the right places. I've got skill sets. I've got education. I've got a track record. Things are going well. I'm network- this is going to be amazing. And, you know, and and so it was, you know, and every two years, big, big promotion, big promotion upwards. I was going uh, ultimately was made director of marketing for the Northeast uh, for for um, for for Coke. And uh, and and then, you know, came the great decision as I studied the Bible. And I remember reading the Bible and as I read it saying, oh, my. and, And I think God does this to us as we're seeking him. It's like, oh, my goodness. I think what is going to have to be on the chopping blocks if I'm going to make Jesus Lord is that I'm willing to even turn my career. Come on, this idol of worship of mine. The thing in which I put all my trust and faith. The thing of which I was so excited and so proud. The, 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 the thing that, that I had on my business card and I had a letterhead and I had a secretary check me out. Like, <laughs> like all of this. And I had a throne because I didn't have a cubicle. I had an office, you know? And, and, oh my goodness, when I would read the Bible and think, can I come off of this throne? I mean, it seems so silly, right? It's just like a job, but, but it was my identity. And, and I remember reading and reading about Paul and how he just completely upended his life despite all the things he did. And I was like, oh, stink, stink. <laughs> I know what they're going to ask me in the next Bible study. They're going to want me to talk about this thing. And, but I, I had, it, it was not easy, but I had to go off and wrestle on my knees. I had to get off of the throne by getting on my knees. You know, I mean, Philippians 2 says something very, very similar to that, does it not? I'll, don't worry about going there. I'll just read it to you real quick. It's, it's one of the great hymns of the Bible about Jesus. God has exalted Jesus to the highest place, him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. What is that name? Lord. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I knew, I saw those other baptisms going on around me. I knew that before they got baptized, they said, Jesus is Lord. And even though that just sounded like a religious phrase to me at the time, I realized that everybody around them that were spirit-filled and kind of knew the score in the Bible, when they heard that person, like like Ben did the other day, say, Jesus is Lord, they lost their minds in exuberance. And I mean, applause. Was, I was like, he just said, Jesus is Lord. Like, what's up with that? Like, come on. Like, this class, you know, he, Calm down with this clapping after a while. But what I didn't appreciate, what was really being said, that I am no longer on, as Ben would have said, I am no longer on the throne of my life. The the rest of my professional life is now going to be guided by the principles of Jesus. The rest of my romantic life Whoa, is going to be regarded by the principles of Jesus. The things that I hold dear, that I think I'm really good at, I now put at the throne of Christ. And I, oh man, and I remember that, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to resolve that, as I say Jesus is Lord, that even this precious career that I've cultivated for a decade and even many years before that, but and I remember thinking, but oh my goodness, but I've I've got a, a Wharton Business School degree, and, and and I'm I'm creative, and I can play golf, so I can network with everybody else, and I mean, and, I mean all of these things. I mean, they they they. Oh, I'm good at PowerPoint. I, I mean, like oh my goodness, all of this stuff. Like, you know, I mean, it's stupid, stupid things like that, where I'm puffing myself up and, and trying to make the case that well, maybe maybe this one thing doesn't have to. Because it just seems so amazing that all of these skills could come together in one ridiculously arrogant yuppie. <laughs> and, but then deciding as the, as, as the day approached, and, and I took 24 hours, that yes, even the career is on the chopping blocks. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's even letting Jesus be Lord of your... If you're single right now, like that's a crazy hard thing, Right? Jesus is Lord of my romantic life. If you're about to kind of mark your way in the world and graduate and take your career and you think, wow, I just want to be able to run after the achievement and the dollars. Well, what about really allowing Jesus to be Lord of that decision? Ah, but I don't have a job right now and it's getting kind of scary and I want to take care of my family and things are really, you know, how about still trusting, not in mammon, but trusting that Jesus really is the deliverer and trusting in Jesus, even with that decision. Oh, but you don't understand my time and my family. And, you know, we've got so many different activities that are so important for the kids to round them out and make them wonderful contributors to society. And, and, and if I don't allow them to do all of these things, I, I don't know what will become of them. Probably their lives will be ruined forever if they don't actually participate as the secretary of the Latin club. Uh, <laughs> Jesus needs to be Lord. And so ultimately, I remember... Saying it, saying it and knowing that it's all on the chopping blocks. And you know what? When I said it, it wasn't like, Oh, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I've really messed everything up now. No, when I did, it was as if a, a washing of the Holy Spirit of exuberance came through. I was like, I'm free, I am free, I am free from anything that is so petty that would have a hold on me. Be free yourselves. Be able to say, Jesus is Lord, let the shackles drop off. I know this is not too different from some of the other lessons that we've had, but it's the same theme that Jesus is bringing to us. And it's time for us, if you didn't do it last time, to basically re-up. Re-up as a conclusion to what Jesus is bringing us here. Everybody's going to be at his feet. Either our knee bows before him, or we try to stay Lord of our own lives. Pick what it is. What is it where Jesus, again, needs to be Lord? Be able to proclaim it. Allow the washing of the affirming of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to allow grip you again and let you see the joy and the purpose and the significance of why he did what he did for you and the significance of what your life can be. But it can't be that until we surrender all, as the song says. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Jesus is Lord, church. We are the Kyriakos. We are those who are of Jesus. We are of the the, the, the Koryos. That is who we are. We are a community of people that have made Jesus Lord of our lives. How crazy should that look? Right. In community, people have given up all for the sake of Christ. Yeah. Expect it of yourselves, but as Kyriakos, expect it of one another as well. Yeah. Have those talks this week. Amen. Yeah. <laughs>